You are listening to the Humans Are Interesting podcast. Stay tuned for part two and the conclusion of our series, Do All Lives Really Matter? What do you guys say to the response from the white community, I guess you could say? What What is your response, which is very common nowadays of, and, and there's a lot of people in the elite communities that are saying, you guys only want to focus on the few that are being killed by the police instead of the thousands that are being killed by each other. And that's a, in, in, in the white community, that's a big hotbed of why do they only care about it when a cop shoots them? There's thousands of young african-american teenagers or people being killed by each other in chicago and they don't want to talk about that what is the response from from black lives matter or you two individually uh do you want to respond first or would you like me to you go ahead um is that on the agenda if you will like when when blm releases like their agenda points like these are what we want i mean is that on the agenda to look at from a community standpoint what's happening in chicago it may not be on the specific blm agenda but that is definitely um an issue that has been on just the general black community's agenda for a long time you asking that i think is a fair question but i think there i think there are some pieces of that that maybe yeah. you're, you're, you're that people who feel this way mm-hmm. aren't are, are missing sure um and by the way this is your show I, if i had a podcast i would be asking you this question so if you don't even want to address no it, i think it's no, a great no, question no, okay. it's, I, think, yeah, I, think I think it's a fair question, question. Okay. yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, it's 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 a view that a lot of people think which is it makes it important for us to address it you know what I'm saying? So I'm totally cool with that. I'm totally cool with that. So first of all, a lot of people in the black community have been addressing this issue for many, many years, specifically in hip hop music, which is obviously a huge part of what represents black culture on a, on a major scale today. So if you go back as far as the 80s with Karis One and Boogie Down Productions, like there was a whole movement called the Stop the Violence Movement. This, this dates back to the 80s. And they were literally putting out albums and projects which were specifically addressing what you're talking about. Um, that was out east, and then they tried to bring a version of that out west, and they did "We're All in the Same Game." Mm-hmm. And it was just this both both movements or both songs, "Self Destruction" and "We're All in the Same Game," were these big ten plus rapper collaborations that were specifically built to address black and black violence in the hood. Since then. There have been multiple hip hop artists and albums that address such topics. And so in-house, we've seen this being addressed the entire time. Outside of our community, they don't see it. And I think the reason why that is, is one, they're outside of the community. So if they're not listening to these projects or listening to watching these speakers or going to NAACP events or whatever, then they're not going to hear the information. I think the main reason why they're not seeing it is because there isn't a pushback in that movement. The reason that this Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter or whites disproportionately killing blacks, the reason why it's such a big deal now is because there are sides that people are drawing. There's, there's, a, there's a pushback that directly contradicts the other side. There is no pushback in the black-on-black killing. In the black community, we universally agree and recognize that that is a terrible thing. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so there's no, there's no, there's no story 
that the media can build to make this conflict because we're all in agreement. This is terrible. Yeah. What's going on in Chicago is a freaking travesty. We just don't see, again, from the white perspective, I guess, if that's how you want to call it. But that, that is the, the battle, I think, that partly that BLM faces, and yet BLM is, is trying to look at some of these, you know. I'm not, and again, it's not minimizing police officers killing people. I'm not minimizing that death. But there's like a whole nother issue going on that I think a lot of the the white communities are like, well, this beyond things ridiculous because they don't even care about their own. And that's that's that is a, a very alive um, way of thinking that's happening right now. I think so. some of that kind of goes back to what science said earlier about, you know, when you're talking about breast cancer awareness yeah. and then someone wants to bring up a different cancer. It's like, yeah. Yes, they're mm. both terrible, yeah. but right now this is what we're talking about. Sure, okay. You know what I'm saying? Fair, fair enough. Yeah. Um, not only mm. that, not only that, but another major difference here to give an example. I saw, but after one of these big shootings, uh, this white dude that I know from my young days posted this picture, and it was a picture of three black dudes and this one white girl. And apparently that same weekend, these three black dudes um, molested and, and raped this, this single girl. The headline said, everyone wants to talk about cops unjustly killing black people, but no one wants to talk about these three ish bags who just raped this little girl, right? Mm-hmm. That was the headline. And what I said to him was, as, oh, as directly, because I didn't want to get in a social media debate because they're dumb, directly, I said, the difference between what we're talking about and the three quote-unquote ish bags that just rape this girl is those three dudes are doing time they're arrested and they are doing time yes a travesty happened but justice was served and that's another piece that i think people are are forgetting and are missing in this process it's not even just about the killing it's about the lack of consequences we see for the killing of the people it's about the the paid leave that happens as soon as they, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that is a, a huge part of the movement is the, the consequences that we see tend to not happen for their actions. If a gang member shoots and kills another black dude and gets caught, he's going to go to jail. He's going to do prison time. He's going to do real time. There are consequences for his actions. And sometimes it feels like there aren't consequences for law enforcement actions. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> no, I no, I, I. But I'm, I'm just giving. And you- I've heard that frustration a lot of times too. And and I, I think again, uh, and some of these issues, I obviously, Black Lives Matter need. You know, they're addressing issues systemic wide that go beyond right. street right. level law enforcement. I mean, right. from a prosecution standpoint, that has nothing to do with the badge. That has yes. everything to do with the court system. Which, right. I wish more people understood that the police officer on the street does not work for the prosecutor's office. And they don't work for grand juries. They don't work for, you know, it is a completely separate entity mm-hmm. that we have no influence or power. In. Right. And the black community has unfairly given frustration that's from the judicial system and put it on law enforcement. I agree with you. And I, I wish happened. that could be addressed as well, because we are not responsible for acquitting or finding people guilty. Or, you know, when somebody gets a jury of 12 people, acquits the cop for killing you know, uh, this person, they want to scream and yell and protest against the police. 
I had nothing. We have right. nothing to do with that decision because it, it it feels like it's all the same mm-hmm. thing. It feels right. like it's all this right. systemic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. all stemming from the same yeah. the same thing. But you're right. In your your profession, you have no say in what happens after the fact. All right. So we talked about uh, being called a racist. Race um, racist is a strong word. It's uh, sometimes it is a word that does get tossed around uh, a little too easily. You know, being called a racist is a tough thing. Um, have you ever been accused of being racist? Yes. <laughs> uh, and it's happened most of the time on traffic stops mm-hmm. because a frequent question when you get pulled over by the police and the officer asks you, are you breaking parole? No. <laughs> That's what they ask me and it feels racist. No. Why'd you get pulled over, right? So we'll ask you, hey, do you know why I stopped you? I'll okay, give you that so, one. So, so yeah. we'll go back. All right. yeah, the parole one, though, so, that yeah. feels racist. I can okay. talk about that. Good. So the answer, so okay. Yes. And most of the time it's happened on traffic stops uh, because a lot of officers or deputies will ask the driver, do you know why I pulled you over? And they say, because you're a racist? And they'll... <laughs> They will say something to the effect of, I've never, it's never been that direct, gotcha, but it's, gotcha. it's, that's pretty direct. It's the micro stuff of, they dance around. It's the micro right. stuff of, well, I think I know why you pulled me over. And it has, you know, and it has something to do with what I look like. And you'll get that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And they could have been going 75 miles an hour down a residential street. But the first thing that they respond is, well, basically, you stopped me because of my skin color. It is a slap in the face to my career mm-hmm. that someone would dare allude to me because i view i view racism and racial profiling as abhorrent i i can't yeah. stand it so when somebody alludes to the fact that what well, you know i'm pretty sure you're you might be a racist that to me is stinging that that yeah yeah you know and that, that hurts man that that really hurts yeah and we, and we talked about this a little bit before we were rolling um is i think i mean i would i would agree that being called a racist is I mean, one of the worst things that someone could try to label you as. And so mm-hmm. for someone to imply that unfairly, just that's not cool, you know. But I think sometimes we think because we aren't racist that we don't also have prejudice. Um, there's a distinction between the two. And sometimes prejudice spills over to race, even if it's not racism. For example, I'm guilty of this as well. I grew up, I'm from North County, San Diego. I'm from Oceanside. And in school... Blacks and Mexicans always fought. K through 12, blacks and Mexicans were always fighting with each other. I still, to this day, if I see a, a group of Mexican dudes that look a certain way in a certain age group, I'm not going to assume anything about them, but my level of alertness is higher when I'm around them instinctively because this is the way I've been programmed because of my experience. Is that fair? No, it's it's not. You know what I mean? It isn't fair, but this is what I'm a product of because of my history. Now, I freaking love Mexican culture. So I, I, I know I don't hate Mexicans, right? But I still have a little, a little piece of prejudice in a certain group because of how I grew up. So in the same fashion, a white officer cannot hate black people. They could be a big fan of Des Bryant and him and his wife went to the Beyonce concert and they love parts of black culture. Like all that can be true, but it doesn't mean that they don't have any negative prejudice towards certain black people. You can love the black community and black culture, but still instinctively be more fearful of large black men. And if that's the case, then when you approach a situation, whether it's a traffic stop or 
you're seeing someone outside of a drugstore or whatever it is, if they look a certain way, skin color, size, your level of alertness and your perception of the threat level subconsciously could be different because of these prejudices. When I'm talking about the relationship between a white cop and a black man being shot, I'm not saying that the cop was necessarily racist in a sense of that he hates black people. I think that's the case sometimes, or that could be the case. But more often than not, I would more assume that he might have a prejudice towards people that fit this description, built off of what he's, the way we're portrayed in the media. We look pretty awful in rap music sometimes, you know what I mean? And if, th- if that's what you know of black culture, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and so now, I'm, I'm, just to clarify, I'm definitely not saying in all these stories that have been big in the last few years that these were all race killings, like they killed someone because they were black. I, I, you know what I mean? I, I'm not get, getting into any specifics on that. But in general, when I'm discussing the race issue between white law enforcement and black men, it's more built on the subconscious prejudice and fear of the black man and not this overt like clan member mentality that exists in the police force. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah, I think I agree with your statement. I think you can be you cannot be a racist, but still have certain prejudice. And much like you said, prejudice, even in small ways, for the most part, is based on personal experience. Your mm-hmm. example of you have a certain prejudice toward Hispanic you know, males based on a history that you had. Right. Right. Uh, my sister was killed by a drunk driver. Mm. Now, when I stop drunk drivers or I arrest drunk drivers or talk to drunk drivers, I have a natural prejudice towards drunk drivers that my counterparts don't necessarily have because they haven't been touched in a personal way. Yeah. Do I go out and hunt for drunk drivers? Like I want to show them street justice. Absolutely not. But I, yeah, there is an element because of my history that I have a unique experience with drunk drivers looking at these shootings, police shootings and saying, yeah, the cop might not have been racist, but was he prejudiced against black males? I don't know. You know, sometimes, and police officers might say, well, sometimes you say it's a prejudice. I say it's training and experience. Right. When I see a guy that's got black tattoos, he could be white, Hispanic, or African American, but he's got black tattoos on his face, on his neck. He's got devil horns. He's got 13. He's got, you know, he's got stuff on his head that I know from training and experience is gang affiliated. Right, right. You could say, well, you're prejudiced against tattoos. Well, no, I, I, I know because of my training and background and, and, and experience that, that of what that means. And so, yeah, my threat level might go up when I'm talking to somebody. Now, he might have been reformed and might not have been in prison for 30 years. But that doesn't mean that the police officers, he doesn't know that. Right. So when that first contact happens, there might be some prejudice on the part of the officer because of past experiences fighting with parolees or fighting with gang members with those similar tattoos. Right. You have to set your prejudice aside and look at the facts objectively. But sometimes it just still leaks through in, in our day-to-day right. job. Flawed people. Yeah. Yeah. You all are. Yeah, no, I think I think realizing too, I think just conversa- just having a conversation on prejudices help and realizing that we all we all have them. And, you know, going back to what you said about uh, you know, Hispanics, you know, it's one thing if you have that prejudice. The issue comes in when you let that prejudice oops. Sorry you said you put it on vibrate. I did put it on. Obviously not. Hold on. Take three. Huh. Hundred. Hold on. <laughs> I thought I did. My bad. 
I apologize. It's a new phone. Party. It's a new phone, uh, though. It's a new phone, exactly. Like, literally brand, <laughs> brand new. He just saved you. He just gave you an out. You're like, mm-hmm. yes, I got an excuse. <laughs> no, but it is a new phone. Um, Going with that, uh, we all have prejudice, uh, and it's realizing that we have them is the step to overcoming them. And I think, like you talked about, you know, certain prejudices towards Hispanic males. It's one thing if you have that prejudice and you realize it. The issue is when you allow that prejudice um, to come in and you were to disrespect those males, you know, in a disrespectful way. Or so, if you don't know you have them. Or you prejudice. don't know you have them, right, right. But I think anytime there's a conversation about prejudices and we're honest about it, it's a step closer. Uh, so community policing, it's something I've heard a lot in the media. Uh, there's a wonderful story, I believe it was in Time Magazine uh, a couple months ago, it was about Candom, New Jersey. They um, are looked at as a model of community policing what they did was they realized, you know what? If the officers know these kids and they got to know uh, these kids well and their families and whatnot, that when the officer would see that kid, there's not a suspicion there. It's like, oh, that's so-and-so. It was awesome to see people from that neighborhood working in that neighborhood. And uh, community policing is something that uh, is having a really positive uh, response. But I wanted to let you touch on that because I know you said that's something that you... You do. Perfect. Uh, and, and it is a passion of mine, so I appreciate right. the time. Yeah. Uh, I'll say this, too. Community policing is not a unit or a special group of people. It's a philosophy. Mm. And and I wish you know more departments understood that. When I used to work as a training officer in patrol, where we take new guys out of the academy and we you know basically right. teach them you know, what to do, one of my big things was you have to get out of the car. You have got to get involved in your neighborhoods. You have got to get involved in your schools. You have to know, like you're saying, if you know everybody, you'll be able to know who's suspicious and who's not. Right, exactly. Who's struggling and who's not. When we we run our programs for our youth and they have our cell phone numbers, we can talk to them, text them back Mm -hmm. and forth. We always know who's slipping because they they stop texting and stop calling us back. Right, right. And that's a telltale sign. Almost every single time a kid loses contact and falls off the map, it's because Mm. they're back in the game or they're back using dope again. Right. And, you know, if they come back to us, we're always here and willing to, you know, restart that relationship with that student. But community policing, um, I I couldn't say enough. It is so important for every agency, department, nationwide to be engaged with their their youth, especially. Uh, Or every law enforcement agency knows kind of the the target audience of who's really committing crimes and causing, you know, because we go based on statistics and calls for service and, you know, who generates those calls and who's Mm -hmm. generating crime in the neighborhoods. So if you can do a little bit of legwork and figure out who those people are Mm -hmm. and focus efforts, not necessarily... To always arrest, 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 but to restore, and you, call, right. you talk about mm. restorative justice, yeah, and be that role model for that student, or be that you know mentor, right, uh, for that kid. That is so incredibly powerful, and you can change a life and potentially save lives, mm. yeah. and change communities by yeah. doing that. Yeah. And again, I think it goes. It's a systemic issue. It's not right. just law enforcement. That goes for your churches. That go, you know, we yeah. as a community have to take responsibility mm-hmm. to look mm-hmm. after some of these some of these kids in mm-hmm. our neighborhoods yeah. and get to know them yeah. uh, and deter that criminal behavior if it's there. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, just imagine if you if you get a call about a fight that's happening in a park that looks pretty intense. Imagine how 
different your responses and how different their response to you would be if you know them and they know you. If he steps in between us and is like, hey, guys, you know, give us give us some space, whatever we're going to be. We're, I'm, I'm not going to feel threatened that Officer Dustin is is addressing me and telling me to calm down because I know Officer Dustin and I trust him. Yeah. We talk about the impact through relationships. Right. The opportunity that a law enforcement officer has to engage in that youngster's life right. uh, is it, the, the opportunity is there. But it's that willingness on that part of the officer and also the student as well to engage in that dialogue and build that relationship. What you're describing has happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We've been involved with some of our students that have had you know, fights back and forth. Or students have come to us and talked to a police officer about something that happened at school. Mm-hmm. When six months prior, they would have never have trusted anybody in law enforcement right. to go and talk to about a crime. Because you know the whole snitches get stitches. That, right. In their opinion, mm-hmm. they think by talking to a cop... You know, they're, they're going to get beat up. Well, now we have students that feel that they can trust and go to ice cream with us. They can go play sports. They can go on field trips. They can mm-hmm. be in the same car with us and not feel like they're, you know, it's, it's a setup. We had our, <laughs> our, first week, our first week of our program that we designed a few years ago, we actually had students hiding in the parking lot between cars because they thought it was a law enforcement setup, that they were all, it was like a sting, like they were going to right, be arrested. Right. Wow, and it showed us how much distrust there is between mm-hmm. the community and law enforcement. Yeah, yeah, and, and what was interesting about the whole study in Camden um, was, uh, you know, they were interviewing some of the kids and some of the people in the neighborhood. Like, how do you feel? What's changed? And it was interesting. One of the kids says, um, "I trust the police more because." The only time I would see the police was when they were arresting somebody, but now I see them in my community. Now he sees them playing basketball with them and baseball. So now they see police uh, in different lights other than just coming in and arresting their uncle. Or It's interesting. I think, I think community policing is awesome. I'm a big fan of it. And it's hopefully something that we can see more in the, in the United States in general. So We feel and know that if that student stays connected to us, and what we're doing with that family yeah. that is a recipe for mm. success for that kid. We know nice. it. Dustin, you said some great stuff. I think we can all yeah. agree we've had a, a great dialogue. And I really hope that this conversation um, can open up some other dialogues for other members of the community and, and other law enforcement. And and one thing that you, you touched on a little bit, which I very much agree with, is um, we all play a role and have a responsibility um, in the actions of our community and, and we all um, have a responsibility to address these things it's, and not play the blame game it's not, it's not just law enforcement's job it's not just my job it's, it's our job, our job yeah. um, and the more active we are in the lives of our community mm-hmm. ultimately the better the community is going to be I think that's just a universal truth yeah. so um, Dustin we want to thank you for your time thank you man Wonderful thank, you. Here. thank you it's been awesome and that's our show for the day. Thanks. I know. It's always an awkward ending. Like, uh...